Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. Let me just set the foundation. Uh, I like to, you know, we do this every year. And if you're, if you're new to Lake Mount, this is kind of a, a calendar day for us in terms of that. Uh, this isn't the first Sunday of 2023 as we came together on uh, January 1st last week. But this is the, the first year of forward focus. We took last Sunday and we always want to, to remember and celebrate the testimony of the goodness of God in the prior year. But as we look into the year ahead, we've made it our practice to, uh, to make a declaration. We actually, as the people of God, have a privilege of not just looking backward and giving an assessment of how things were. Anybody can do that. But as the people of God, God has given us a prophetic authority that we can actually call those things what they are before they are in Jesus' name. And that doesn't mean that we get to just kind of, you know, make a wish at the beginning of the year, blow out the candles and hope for the best. That's, that's not what we're doing. We're not just being spiritually optimistic. True Bible prophecy originates in the heart of God. And so it's, it's not just that we say whatever we want and then hope that God fills in the blanks. But what originates in the, hearts of God, the heart of God, what originates in his heart and what comes from his word, we have the authority by his grace to partner with it and agree upon it and say that shall be our portion this coming year. And so we, we, we believe in that grace. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18, 21, that we actually have the power of life and death in our tongue. And if, if we don't watch over ourselves, it tends to be the default setting that we, 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 we somewhat spiral toward the negative and just speaking of just what is and, and, and kind of the negative assessment of what's going on. But by faith, we can correct that and speak words of life into a year that we've not set foot into yet. And I know that, that, that often in, in even these last few years, you know, there's been things that kind of came to us as curveballs and things that we didn't necessarily see coming. But I take great confidence in knowing that the God of the universe is already through all of time. He's already at the end of 2023 and he knows how to get us through that year by his spirit. And so he gives to us a prophetic spirit, a prophetic attitude of faith, where we actually align our confession with his word. And we say, not that we're wishing, but we're prophesying and we're saying, God, we're believing you for this in this coming year. So 2022, we made the declaration over our year that it would be the year of the overcomer. In 2023, we're making the declaration that this is the year of the burning heart. I'm stirred more than ever before about our need for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we need to have hearts that burn for God. And I'm not talking about just being more excited. I'm not talking about just having you know, right emotions as we think about God. But a burning heart is a heart that's been consumed by the fire of the Holy Spirit. Our key verse is found in Luke chapter 24, a somewhat familiar passage to this house if you've journeyed with us in any length of time. And so I'll touch on this because this theme verse will kind of just help us to catch a picture. But as we press into this theme today and over the coming weeks and over this year, I'm believing that what the Lord is wanting to do today is to get us in a position of expectation for something that only he can do in your heart, in mine, and in the heart of this house. Thank you. 
Luke chapter 24, you don't have to go there. You can if you want to just kind of thumb through the references. I paint the, the, the story for you. But this is after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus had told his disciples that they were to stay in Jerusalem. But there were a couple of disciples who couldn't believe the story of resurrection. They didn't have a grid for it. It seemed too impossible and too beyond them. And so they began to go a different direction. And as they walked that different direction, their confession and their words and their, their wrestlings were on just the material plane. They had no grid for resurrection. And so they walked and they talked and they contemplated. And, and Jesus came to them on that road. I love that Jesus comes to us on the road. When we're heading the wrong way, he comes to meet us and come alongside us, not to endorse that journey but to begin to light a fire in us that we need to get where we need to be. And Jesus, was, he was, they were prevented from recognizing him. And as he walked alongside these two disciples who were talking about what was going on, Jesus kind of played dumb and said, well, what kind of things have been going on? And they began to unpack what was happening. And just, you know, have you, know, have you just got here? We're talking about Jesus, who we thought was the Messiah and who we had hoped was going to be our Savior. And, and, but now he's, he's been killed. And then not only that, some of the women in our group have amazed us and told us that He's, he's resurrected, and, and, and so they're just they're wandering. And, and Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, how slow of heart you are to believe. And then the greatest sermon never recorded, Jesus unpacks the entire Old Testament, revealing himself to each, uh, you know, through each book. He spoke to them about who he was and talked about the, the purpose of the Christ coming into the earth. And then the Bible says that he made as though he was going to continue walking on, but they said, no, stay with us to have a meal with us. And they asked him if he would pray over the meal. And when he prayed, their eyes were opened. He was taken from their sight and they turned to one another. Luke 24, verse 32. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke with us on the road? While they were on the road of question and wondering and wandering, Jesus came alongside, met them, and as he spoke his word, a fire was reignited in them. That fire put them back into their purpose. When their eyes were opened and the fire was lit again, they ran back to Jerusalem, joined the disciples, and testified, Jesus is alive. And they found themselves in their purpose once again. See, without a burning heart, we're just simply trying to believe. Without a burning heart, we lack the fire of God that refines us. And we need that. I need that. You need that. This church needs that. We need a refining fire. What do we mean? I, I mean where there is hidden things and hidden ways that actually oppose the purpose of God. God's heart is to refine that, not to burn it in the judgment of hell, but to refine it out of us so that we can be refined like pure gold, ready to serve him, walking in true spiritual holiness. We need that fire burning in us. Without that burning heart, we're like the disciples before Pentecost. 
They had right beliefs, but they found themselves to be weak and timid whenever any fluctuation in circumstance came along. Their, their faith waffled and they, they retreated behind closed doors. But when the Holy Spirit came upon them in fire, they found a courage and a boldness that caused for them to stand and declare in the face of all kinds of opposition, we will not bow, we cannot help, but declare what the Lord has done. We must keep on preaching and teaching. It was noted by the society and the culture around them. These men have been with Jesus. See, without a burning heart, we're just attempting in our own natural selves to be good Christians. That's better than not, but there's better than that. There's a fire that God wants to light in us. John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, a unique assignment amongst mankind that he was given a forerunner message to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus and actually call the people to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. And as he preached that message that I referenced a couple weeks ago of you know making the high things come low and those valleys being filled and crooked ways being made straight, rough ways being made smooth, rugged places being a level plain. As he declared that word, people came and they actually thought, could this one be the Messiah? Could he be the hope of the world? Such was the power of the Holy Spirit on that prophet in his time and yet he knew his assignment and he said no I'm I'm not I'm not the Messiah the one who's coming after me is greater than I am I baptize you with water for repentance but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire it's compelling to me that John with this revelation with this prophetic mantle understood this assignment defines why Jesus has come. He's come to baptize us. If you've, if you've confessed Jesus to be the Lord of your life, wave at me if that's you this morning. Jesus is the Lord of your life. Here we are, a local church family. Jesus is the Lord of our life. This is what John said was one of the primary mission statements and purposes of Jesus coming into the earth was to baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. I, th I think it is, I think it is a distraction of darkness that somehow that idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire has somehow become an elite brand of Christianity and a style of church when it's actually what Jesus came to do. And perhaps the desperation of our time is starting to get into our hearts where we recognize this isn't elite Christianity. This is Christianity 101. Unless I have a fire in my heart, I don't know how I can make a difference out there. And unless I'm burning for God, I don't know how I can endure the time that I'm in. But when the fire of God is on me, I'm not just enduring and I'm not just trying to believe right. And I'm not just doing the best that I can. But God helping me. I'm shining in a darkened place with the power of the Holy Spirit. Refining me. Making me ready to know Jesus. And I find myself living with a devotion that is not just my willpower. But it's his power resting on me. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit. See, the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine, it will make you holy. 
Without holiness, we won't see God. We need the fire of God to get into the areas of our hearts that we lie to ourselves and others about. That there needs to be a whole person coming into this house, coming under this anointing, coming into this presence, coming before the Lord in your private time of prayer. There needs to be a whole person that doesn't leave into the shadows a figure that is unrepentant and unwilling to be touched by the spirit of the living God. But every single part of me needs to come into the fire of God and my heart needs to be knit together to burn for him. Nothing hidden, nothing secret. It is the testimony of the New Testament church. Paul said, how is it when you gather? That when people are worshiping and the gifts of the Spirit are in operation, and someone's chosen some songs and another one has prepared a message and there's words of wisdom and words of prophecy. How is it that when all of that is going on, even an unbeliever comes in and the secrets of his heart are laid bare and he says, God is really here. See, unless the fire of God is burning in us, we just, we just like to get close and be warmed. But God doesn't want us to get close and warm. He wants to consume us. And the fire makes us holy. The fire brings conviction that doesn't condemn. It brings conviction that prevents condemnation. It brings conviction that causes for us to turn away from illicit hidden things. Who cares? If you can hide it from the world, you can't hide it from the eyes of a holy God. And a heart that burns is being made holy. The fire of the Holy Spirit will take prayer from a chore to a conversation. It will move prayer from simply being some duty and obligation that I need to fulfill to be a good Christian. And I find myself dependent on the living God. And this conversation becomes more important to me than my very breath. That I know I must hear the mind of the Lord in the circumstance that I live in. God, I need to hear you. God, I need to pour my heart out to you. That I, I thank God for counselors and friends and for people that I can talk things through it, those that will shoulder the burden. But He, the Holy Spirit, is the most wonderful counselor. And when I have His fire burning in me, He moves my prayer from an obligation and a list to a timeless treasure of finding myself breathing out communication to the Most High God. The fire of the Holy Spirit in your heart will move you from a singer to a worshiper in spirit and in truth. Move you from the casual observer, conscious of of the way your voice sounds and, and, and the way that you might look in the eyes of other people and you suddenly find yourself before an audience of one because the burning heart this deep calls to that deep and back and forth and I find myself pouring out worship that is not conscious of what it sounds like to you because it's not for you, it's for him. And I find myself like David 
Even though I may have kingly robes and out there I might have a reputation to keep up. Out there, there might be a so-and-so ideology of what I'm supposed to look like. But when the presence of God comes near like David, I get down to the, the linen he fought and I find myself just absolutely abandoned before the Lord. And criticism is met with even a sharper tongue of, I'll get even more undignified than that. Because there's a fire burning in my heart. The fire of God on the heart of this church will bring us into the revival that we so desperately need. The revival that this generation needs. But speak it, the revival I need, the revival you need. The revival that is needed in this city and in this region. Jesus says to the churches in the book of Revelation, to each one of those churches, and we find ourselves typified in some of the language in each of those seven churches as God spoke to those local congregations. Timelessly, he speaks to every congregation and says, check your heart on this, check your heart on that. If you live where the throne of Satan is, it's still no excuse to not burn for the living God. If you find yourself getting lukewarm, it's no excuse because everyone else says, I need to burn for God. And to each of these churches, he uses a picture and he speaks to these congregations. And he says of each of them, and I'm saying to you, by the authority of his name, he speaks of this church as a candlestick. Picture that in your mind. A candlestick, not something on your tabletop like a, like a, like a, a tall candlestick. Think of it. What is the purpose of a candlestick other than to burn? A church is meant to be a place where the fire of God burns. See, fire is not optional. And it would seem to me that if Jesus came in his mission statement, priority one, to baptize you and me in his Holy Spirit and fire, it would seem to me that he wants for you and me to burn. And it would seem to me that we are made to burn. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 24, the Bible says that the Lord our God is a jealous God and a consuming fire. The one describes the other. Jealousy like fire. God's not jealous of you. You have nothing that he didn't give you. God's like, man, I wish I had her voice in his fashion sense. God's jealous for you, not of you. Like fire, is picture it, like fire is jealous for the rest of the log, for the, for the rest of the kindling. That fire doesn't just burn a corner or stay on an edge, but fire actually consumes everything. There's no reserve part that you can say, well, just burn this part. No, fire is jealous. It takes everything. And God says of himself in Deuteronomy 4.24, the Lord your God is a jealous God. Understand it this way, like a consuming fire. See, God doesn't want weekend visitation rites. He doesn't want a moment of prayer. Although he'll take whatever we offer, what he really wants is the stuff we sing about our whole lives. He wants me to offer everything. Every breath. It's not just a lyric. Every breath, God, take it. Use my whole life. Take my hands, take my feet, every part of me consume. Let your fire jealously burn all of me. 
Because when something is presented to fire, hear me, when anything is, if I took this table and I presented it to a fire, what happens is the table is consumed until we actually stop talking about it as a table and we talk about it as the fire. What fire consumes, it fully consumes. If you have a backyard where you can have a bonfire, you don't say, let's, let's, let's uh, light a log and come watch some logs burn. It's come have a fire. Why? Because the logs actually aren't significant. It's the fire that defines the activity. Fire consumes. Every heart is made for fire, every heart, every heart, because we're made in the image of God. We're designed by God. You're made to burn on the inside. You're made to burn. People can burn with lust, be consumed by it, where what becomes a casual dalliance of curiosity suddenly becomes something they cannot let go of. And they suddenly find, I'm not in control of this. It's controlling me. And I, I can't let go of it. It's got a hold of me. I'm no longer curious. I'm burning and I need to feed it. People can burn with greed. And find that the more they make, it's still not enough. And suddenly, what used to be satisfactory and just grateful for the, you know, the occasional uh, you know, treat here and there, suddenly tastes go up. And then this isn't good enough, I need that. And then that's not good enough, I need this. And there's a greed that begins to burn until there's never enough. People can burn with hatred. And find that a disdain for other people, a disdain for a politician, a disdain for a group can be animated in such a way that it's not as though I occasionally am reminded of a low opinion of somebody, but I burn with a loathing, I burn with a hatred toward that group or toward that person or toward that entity and I find myself consumed by it. How do I know? It's what I talk about. It's what I think about because I'm made to burn. People can burn with a desire for power over others. There's all kinds of things that can burn in the heart of humanity and hear me. When I'm talking about a burning heart, I'm not talking, again, about just becoming more emotional or more passionate. I'm saying, you're burning already. What do you want to burn for? There's passions that burn already. But is there a superior burning that the Lord wants to do in your life. It's why Jesus came. I came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. I came to put a fire on the candlestick of my church. I came that the flame of my presence all the way through the Old Testament, the responsibility of the priest to maintain the flame of the presence of God. A, a, a kindling burning that is consuming the focus and the attention of my heart and my life. And so this is one of the reasons why that phrase, fighting fire with fire, 
is actually not just a, 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 a figure of speech, but it's actually where there's a, a, a raging forest fire. What they will do often to try to, to get that huge fire to, to be quenched, they'll dump water on it and those chemicals on it and they'll you know, evacuate and they'll, tr- they'll try to you know, tear down burn lines and just you know, tear down a section of forest and hope that the fire doesn't leap over the gap. But when something is going so intently and they can't seem to control it, what firefighters have learned to do is they will light another fire. I'm here to fight fire, but what am I doing now? I'm lighting another fire near to this one that we can control. Why? Because we can suck the oxygen out of that one and we can draw the fuel and heat out of that one and pull it over to here. And there are other fires that are fighting for the seat of your heart. Other things that are burning. That what God is saying to us over this year is, I want your whole heart and I want to burn in you and consume you. I'm jealous for the whole thing. That his fire, and I'm convinced that his fire is our greatest need. The other lesser fires that are stealing the fuel needed for a victorious life in God are going to be quenched in Jesus' name. If we will pursue Him, He will meet us. I spoke last week about the need to rebuild the altar. I want you to take your Bibles and want you to go with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. I talked last week about how in that crossover Sunday and in that crossover season as as Joshua was taking the children of Israel through the Jordan River at flood stage, God said, take the ark and walk into the waters and see what I might do. And as the priests carried the ark on their shoulders, the waters parted in front of them and God's people walked through it. The instruction was given to Joshua, get one man from each tribe to go into the basin, the deepest part of that river and take a stone, one for each each tribe and stack it up as a testimony of what God has done for you here today. I can't escape this word in my heart that it's time for us to rebuild the altar in our own lives and in this house. The altar of encounter and the altar where the fire of God comes and meets with us. If you're familiar with 1 Kings 18, let me just remind you, if it's new to you, let me just set this text for you that there's a prophet named Elijah who is speaking on behalf of God in his generation. The waywardness of his generation had become almost wholesale. That there were just a few hidden people who feared the Lord who were hidden away in caves being fed by one God-fearing man and everyone else had gone after. God's people, the, the, the nation of Israel, a type of the New Testament church, God's people had found that their hearts started to burn after other things and even other gods and they burned after the god Baal. And so God sent the prophet Elijah to speak to the people and he actually spoke into the atmosphere and said, it's not gonna rain except for at my word. And the heavens closed up. At first it seemed a coincidence. And suddenly, over time, what began to grow in the heart of the wicked king Ahab was 
that man, Elijah, is a troubler of Israel. He's causing trouble for us. It was at his word that we have no rain. Rather than him repenting, he chose to take enmity and aim his force at a righteous prophet because sometimes the unrepentant heart just finds it impossible to actually yield and go, maybe I should listen to what he said. And so God sent the prophet after three years of famine, he sent Elijah back to, to hold a contest on, the, on Mount Carmel. And the false prophets of Baal, 400 of them, had, had gathered there. And there's this one lone voice for God in his generation. And he says, let's hold a contest. The rules are very important in 1 Kings chapter 18. He says, let's, re, let's each get some animals and, and we're going to get ready to sacrifice you to your God, mine to the God of the universe. But do not set fire to your sacrifice. Let's call on our gods. You call on your God, I'll call on mine. And we'll see which God answers by fire and whoever answers by fire. Supernaturally, don't set fire to this. Whoever answers by fire, that's the real God. And the prophets of Baal engaged in a, in a frenetic, frantic uh, just demonic display of incantation, cutting themselves and thrashing about trying to get the attention of this demonic power and principality to answer them supernaturally as he had previously done. And they'd experienced spiritual power from a dark origin before. And here they are now finding the heavens closed to, to their crying out. And Elijah teases and says, well, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Maybe your God's taking a nap. Maybe, maybe he's got something in his ears. Yell louder. And so they continued to thrash about until they tapped out and realized it wasn't going to work. And Elijah, before, before he called on God for fire, he did something very significant. He called the attention of the people to the altar of sacrifice that was in disrepair. And he rebuilt it before their eyes. He said, we need this. There's no coincidence between the spiritual condition of this land. There's no coincidence between the dryness of this famine and the disrepair of this altar. That we have neglected meeting with God and have preferred other fires and other things. And so he rebuilt that altar before them. Put a sacrifice on top of it. And then he did something that would seem almost strange. He asked for some servants to come and bring barrels of water and pour it all over that altar so as to douse any possibility that any other source could start a fire here. He prophetically doused the altar and I'm, 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 I'm applying it now. He doused the altar of his heart and doused the altar of the church with a complete dependence on the living God. And poured water on it. And then he prayed these words. 1 Kings 18 verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, listen to this, so that these people will know, O Lord, that you are God 
and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and it also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. See, this minority, this one prophetic voice standing before people who suddenly recognized their desperation wasn't just a lack of rain, but it was a lack of spiritual fuel in the right direction. This one lone voice called on God for the fire to fall. And when the fire fell, their hearts were turned. It's a burning heart. See, as Elijah approached the altar, he didn't climb up its steps with a lighter and a torch in his hand. In fact, the rule of the contest was you can't light this. See, there's no awe and wonder and there's no conversion of heart when a fire is just simply lit. We can't replace the presence and power of God with smoke and lights and great presentation. Everybody knows who lit that match. But when the fire of God comes in such an unmistakable way that this is actually the burning of the Lord on the altar of the heart of the church, that results in a widespread repentance of being brought to submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That, that is what we need. That's what's in my heart as we make this declaration over this year that we need to have a burning heart in this house and in our individual lives. It's what Jesus came to do. We cannot light this fire, but hear me. We can rebuild the altar in this house and in our, in our individual hearts to make room for him and call on him. That's what I'm calling you to do today. That's what I'm calling you to do this year. Rebuild the altar of prayer. You say, Pastor Matt, are you assuming that we're prayerless? No. Is, is this some word of rebuke? No. I'm preaching to my own state. I'm preaching to the, listen, what this, do, what this world needs. Ask yourself, does this world need more facts, better arguments, more convincing? Like, what, what is going to reach this culture? Be better, like, we've got media, we've got, we can get the message out. Praise God for that. But what is going to convert the heart isn't more persuasion. And it isn't better services. It's the fire of God. We can't light the fire. God forbid that we do. But we can build an altar and call on him to come. And the purpose of the fire falling is to turn our hearts fully to the Lord and to extinguish every other flame and consume us completely with himself. And when we have a burning heart, it's the presence of the, and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And that's what we need. I want us to close in just a minute, but I don't want to move from this moment without drilling this home. 
The question here today is, whoever's on, I think Cheryl's on key, she can come. How do we rebuild the altar? How do we rebuild the fireplace of God? The, the fire that is to burn. How do we rebuild it? Let me, let me say this to you. and may, Maybe if you're a quick writer, just jot this down. First, take an inventory. First, take an inventory. This is personal. I'm not asking you to raise your hand and tell the church. First, take an inventory. What is my life consumed by? In all honesty, just, just be real before the Lord. What am I consumed by? Well, how could I tell that? What do you think about the most? What has the majority of your attention? Another way of looking at it, when difficulty or crisis comes, what do you turn to for relief? Well, I, I'm serving the Lord. I'm all in. But, uh, you know, if something like that ever happened to me, I think I'd just, I'd swing by the liquor store, grab a bottle of Jack, and I would just, like, well, guess what? That might be where your source is right now. What, what is consuming me in my private thought? What am I consumed by in, in the secret that only me and God know? What is occupying the animated thought of my mind? That's a fire that's burning in you. Let me help you. Let me just define that for you. That's a fire that's burning. Who or what has the majority of my attention? It's so important that we, we come to the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. It's so important that we come with honesty and not pretense. Because pretense doesn't work. He knows it all anyways. We don't fool him. We fool us. Are there areas of compromise in my life that I'm unwilling to change? Here's an here's a inventory question. Was there a time in my life that I burned hotter for God than I am right now? Another inventory question. Is there a longing in my heart for what I've heard has transpired in previous generations that I want in my generation? Like the Great Awakening or the Second Great Awakening or the Azusa Street Revival or the Welsh Revival or the Toronto Blessing or Pensacola or what was are there are there times in history that my heart yearns? And if I'm not careful, I just say, man, I wish I lived then. Because I have good news for you. God has no favorites. And his answer is still the same. When we find ourselves in need of a visitation, in need of the burning presence and power of the Holy Spirit, his answer is still the same. Don't leave Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power. Get focused. Get disciplined. How? How do I rebuild the, the, the altar in my life? Set a time for prayer and worship. The Bible says set a time and do it. Commit to it. Turn your thought life into your prayer life. Communicate with the Lord at all times.
Pray with thanksgiving. Pray for others. Don't just pray for your own list. Can I say this? Come to this house of God with expectation. Come, come to this house not hoping just to get pumped up. And if that's what you need, God bless you. But come with a prayer in your lips and a passion in your heart to say, Lord, throughout time and history, though you want to deal with me as an individual, when you've poured out your spirit, you've done it on your church and spread through a company of people. Make me a part of a company of people that is filled with expectation for your fire to meet with us. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device.